Pastors in particular have a, they thought that they need to be long-winded in order to uh, either justify their salary or to uh, show you how uh, biblically literate they are. And we have this kind of sense of like the uh, little boy who was sent by his mother to church for the first time and gave him a quarter to put into the offering plate. And he went, did so, and when he got home, his mother asked, well, how was church? And he said, well, it was a pretty good show for a quarter. And so there's a sense of that that the, the pastor needs to entertain you in whatever. Uh, today, if, if you're looking for long-windedness, uh, today you probably came to long, the wrong place. And if you're looking for a more of a shorter sermon, you're going to be blessed today. Um, and part of the reason for that is that Paul here in, in the letter to Galatians is going to... He's, We've talked about some of the instructions he's given us, and he's going to be discussing some warnings. And if we had a fire, and we don't, okay, we're, the building's not on fire, but if we had a fire in the building, you would not want me to say, ladies and gentlemen, there is a fire in our building. Fire can range from this degree of temperature to that degree of temperature that a fire will consume the oxygen and the smoke will fill the room and you could suffocate from the fire uh, and uh, your body will probably die long before the flames get to you, but dying by burning is a terrible way to go. And as I'm explaining this, guess what happens? The fire gets bigger and maybe the way out gets closed. So what you would probably prefer me to say is, there's a fire over there, we need to exit there. Very short, very sweet, let's get out. That's kind of what Paul is going to do in his warnings. It's a couple of verses, very short and very sweet, but very, very important that we need to heed the warnings. And so in Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 7, he says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he lays out a warning to us, and he starts off by saying, don't, don't be deceived. Don't self-deceive yourself that there is a principle that God has, and that principle that's immutable that God has is, if you sow something, you will reap something. And he's discussing, unfortunately, we live in an urban society, and most of us have no clue about sowing and reaping. We just go to the supermarket and pick up oranges or bananas or whatever it is, or green beans or whatever it is that we want, and we have no idea what it took to do those things. But common sense would indicate that if you sowed wheat, a cherry tree is not going to grow up. It's going to return the same type of fruit that it was planted. That if you, if you get apples, 
and you plant apple seeds, then you're pretty sure that what's going to come up is an apple tree. Well, actually, it'll be a little twig, and then it'll develop into a tree, and then it'll develop apples. But you'd expect when you sow something, you know what you're going to get. And let's face it, farmers and orchard producers all rely on that. They're saying, what can I make money on? What will be a successful crop? What type of crop will my land support? So for instance, if you require a certain amount of rich soil, then you probably don't want to plant plants that take that enrichness out of the soil, but you want to, or you need to plan to lay it follow or whatever so that the soil can keep on producing. But farmers rely on the fact that I'm going to produce wheat. I'm going to have a wheat crop. So they plant wheat. But it doesn't seem to be so when it comes to us in the spiritual world. Oftentimes, the spirit world and spiritual matters kind of follows the same kind of concept that the natural does. And so Paul's saying, don't be fooled. God will expect and you will reap those things that you sowed. So he goes, there's two opportunities. You can sow to your own flesh. Now what Paul's talking about here is not karma. He's not saying, well, if you put out good vibes and feelings to the world, good vibes and feelings will come back. He's not talking about that. He's talking about what you're doing to, to invest and plant in your life. And he says, you've got two choices. You can decide to plant and invest in the flesh. And here's the problem with investing in the flesh. You're going to reap corruption. You're going to reap those things that are, that are perishable. They're not going to produce things that are eternal. So you're going to, in the farming world, if you plant wheat, you'll be able to eat wheat only until it runs out because it's not going to last forever. And even when you do plant more wheat than you need and put it in barns for storage, there will come a time when that wheat will rot. So even if you produce more than you're able to consume at any one time, it has a shelf life. All you got to do is buy a loaf of bread. It puts a little expiration date on it. And some of us look at the bread. Oh, well, there's a little green, you know, penicillin. I'll, I'll remove that and try to toast it anyway. You know, you're, you're taking a chance because it is corruptible. And, he, and Paul is saying, if you do those things, if that's how you invest in your life are to the flesh, then what you're going to reap is corruption. And in case you've forgotten, because it's been a few weeks, Paul reminded us back in the fifth chapter of Galatians, at verse 19, he says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immortal, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I've, I've also forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the results. If you choose to invest 
and, and so in the flesh. That's what you're looking for. And when I see a lot of those things, I have a phrase that I say, I go, I don't like the drama. I don't like dissensions and factions and jealousies and envies. You know, I want to avoid those people because they're just not fun to be around. But that's what you do if you choose to invest in the flesh. What's going, what your return on your investment has a temporary shelf life and is not going to be worth the investment. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul is saying, instead of investing in your flesh, what's going to lead to things that you don't want, invest in the Spirit, and the Spirit in turn will change you so that you produce the fruit of the Spirit, but also not only will you produce the fruit of the Spirit, you will receive eternal life. Now that's a pretty awesome investment. Even if you took a, a dollar and went to your local liquor store and, and bought a uh, lottery ticket and it was worth a half a trillion dollars or half a billion dollars or whatever the lottery is, guess what? You're going to spend that money. And even if you win so much and you're so frugal, you don't spend all the money, somebody else is going to spend the money because you're going to go. With my luck, if I ever won the lottery, I'd probably get hit by a truck on the way there or on the way back. I mean, that's, you know, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. But again, the situation is even things that seem like will last for a long time don't. But the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and us living through the Spirit and having the Spirit invest in us and us in the Spirit produces not just life, but eternal life. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. And people ask, well, what kind of body and those types of things? And he tries to explain that when a, again, like in our situation, if a, a kernel of wheat is, is sown, then you get wheat back. But in God's economy, when you sow this physical body that is subject to corruption and being perishable because of the Holy Spirit, he reaps for us an incorruptible, imperishable body that is made for the heavens, made for eternity, where there's no longer any sickness or death or pain or suffering, that God, because of who he is and what he has done, has allowed that investment, if you will, in that. So Paul says, is warning, don't, don't be deceived. You won't be able to reap fleshly things and think you're going to get earthly going to get anything other than earthly things and temporary things. So he says, the warning is, don't be deceived. And he's particularly talking to these churches because what they've been hearing and, and uh, in danger of is that they were saved, but they had to keep their salvation by good works, which meant they were investing in the flesh. And Paul's going, that investment 
is going to fall short. Verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Now, if there was ever a time that those words needed to be spoken as a warning, it's to us. Because we live in a microwave society. It used to be you had to prepare dinner, you had to cook it on a stovetop or in the oven, and it would take a while. Now, we simply stick it in the microwave, punch a few numbers, and in minutes or seconds, we have a meal. I am particularly bad. I remember when I, when I first became a lawyer, which was back in the late 70s. I know I'm, I look much younger than I am. But back in the late 70s, you were doing great if you could find a, a, a secretary typist who could type 120 words a minute. And they usually had to put it on carbon paper. So if they made a mistake, it was a big hassle. So it slowed them way down. And now we have laser printers that print at 35 pages a minute. And I'm going, come on, come on, come on. We are never satisfied with quickness, no matter how quick it is, because we are used to, that was, yes. so it was like, well, that was ancient history about a typist of 120 words a minute. Now, 35 words a minute, uh, pages a minute is just barely worthy. We need something faster. Because we live in this right now society. And the problem is, again, using the agricultural, comparing it to our lives, you don't plant something and in 10 minutes you reap it. Usually what you got to do is you got to plant it. Well, first, you got to prepare the, the land. You got to take the rocks out and all that type of stuff. You got to get rid of the weeds and whatever it is. You got to plow the land, then you got to plant the seed, then you got to make sure that it's either watered, and in California you got to irrigate it because we don't get enough water, and if you're in other places you got to pray that there's rain, then you got to pray that there isn't rain when you don't want rain, and then rain when it's ready to go, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time. I had some uncles who had farms, and even on Sundays they would go to church, go to the family dinner because we would have this because I was visiting, so they were kind of... But they always went back to work because they couldn't take a day off because the fields required it or the cows required it or what, the chickens or whatever it was. You can't say, well, today is Sunday, chickens, you get the day off, they're still hungry. So you got to work it. And that's similar when it comes to, to spiritual matters. God doesn't microwave us. We are his workmanship, but he doesn't microwave us. He has us walk with him. He has us suffer problems so that we might depend on him. We minister to people and we think, well, I gave you the gospel. Why aren't you different? Because it takes a while. Sometimes the seeds need to be planted. They need to be watered. They need to be harvested. And so the warning is, just because you don't see instantaneous results doesn't mean God's not at work. And just because you don't see an instantaneous change in your life. Well, I gave that up to God. Wonderful. That's good. Every day is a new day when it comes to God. 
And every time, oftentimes, we got to crucify ourselves daily because we keep wanting to resurrect ourselves. So it's a situation where we need to be serious, but it's not something that we expect. So he, he tells us, in essence, do not lose heart. Don't get weary. Hang in there. And the promise is, in due time, in God's time, Adam and Eve fell at the beginning of Genesis. They were expecting the Messiah to come and redeem them after their third-born kid. It was like, okay, God, we need redemption. And God chose to wait several thousands of years before he sent his son. And he did it at the right time. And we, on the other side of the resurrection, keep waiting for his second coming. And he went, you know, he, he's got to get here. How come, how come he's not here? Let's, let's go. He will return in his time at exactly the right time. But we are not to lose heart. Because if we don't, then we will reap if we don't grow weary. So there's two things that's warning here. Don't lose heart. Don't get depressed. Don't give up. But don't grow weary. Keep on keeping on. As I share frequently, again, it shows you my age. I keep wanting to say the 100-yard dash, but the 100-meter dash. And how long that is, I don't know, because I have no clue about meters. But in the race, the, the short races, you can be the fastest 99-meter person. And if you stop at the 99-yard, 99-meter part, you don't win. You don't even finish. You need to complete the race. And by completing the race, then whatever rewards are there are given. And Paul is saying, don't grow. Yeah, I know running fast can be tiring and difficult, but don't go up. Unfortunately, Life, and especially the Christian life, is not a 100-meter dash. It is a marathon. Actually, it's longer than a marathon. In a marathon, you know that it's 26.2 miles, and you know where they're going to start, and you know when you're going to end, and you got an idea. In life, you know when you started, at least your mom told you when it was, but you have no clue when you're done. Some of us are done sooner than we hope for or expect, and some of us keep waiting for God to call us home because we're really tired of being here. We don't know. And Paul's saying, in that lack of knowledge, don't grow weary. Keep on keeping on. So then he goes and he tells us, well, so in the spirit, not in the flesh. If we don't grow weary, if we don't give up hope, if we don't lose heart, and we do reap, he's saying one more thing. So then, 
for those of us who haven't lost heart and haven't grown weary. So then, while we have opportunity, notice, while we have opportunity. Well, when do you have opportunity? It knocks frequently. Sometimes we blind our eyes to it because we don't want to do that. So while we have opportunity, as a perfect example, there are many, 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 many homeless people. You can't solve that problem. You might be able to assist somebody. So if you have the opportunity to assist somebody, then that's the opportunity given you to assist somebody. One of my wife's favorite little stories is about all the uh, starfish that got put up on the, uh, the sand and the, the sea receded, and they're all there on the seashore. And this little child picked up one and threw it back into the water. And a person next to him said, you can't save all of them. He goes, no. He picks up another one, but I can save that one. While we have opportunity, the problem may be so great we can't solve it. But if we have opportunity to just do one, then that's our opportunity. So if we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Everybody talks about Christianity being exclusive. And yes, Jesus said the only way to get to heaven is through him. He's pretty exclusive. But doing good is not exclusive. It says to do good to all people. Now notice it said all people. It didn't say that to do good to those people who like you. Or to those people who look like you. Or to those people... Who will, who will thank you and put your name as uh, in, in lights or dedicate a building to you, say, this person did such a wonderful job, we're putting your name in lights. Even if no one recognizes you, it says that we are to do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of the faith. We are not to limit ourselves to doing good to just the church. We're to do good to everyone. But make sure high on your priority is the church and the people of God. All too often what happens is people get upset with the hypocrites in church and they leave the church. Well, the sad thing is, is that a hospital is for sick people, and that's what a church is, sick people, and you ought to kind of understand who's there. But, and then what they do is they seek to do good in other nonprofits. And I'm not saying other nonprofits aren't good. Those are good things, and you ought to support them in whatever but if all you're doing good is through nonprofits and not through the church, you are not giving fully.
Now to, to be serious about this shortness of this message, I want to look at one last verse. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And that says this. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's, again, another immutable principle of God. What you plant, you're going to get back. And if you plant a whole lot, you'll get a whole lot more back. So if you simply reap a few kernels of wheat, you're not going to get back bushels and bushels and bushels of wheat. You're just going to get a little bit back. And so the Christian experience is not to reap sparingly, not to be stingy in what we do, but to be generous in our, in our planting. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, frequently this passage is used, and rightfully so, about giving of money, but it also applies to giving of ourselves and applies to other ministry activities. And the situation is, is yeah, you can go, well, it's Sunday, supposed to be at church, yeah, I'm supposed to teach Sunday school, whatever, and we can just be here. But God loves a cheerful giver. So when you do ministry, it's not one, well, I got to be there. It's, I enjoy being there. I want to be there. I want to be with my Christian brothers and sisters. I want them to encourage them, and I want them to encourage me, and I want to find out where their difficulties are and what I can do to take opportunity to assist and to plant seeds in their lives. And just as teachers oftentimes do not get the credit from the students that they have in the class, Oftentimes, it's not until years and years and years later that someone may say, well, I remember Miss So-and-so who taught me or whatever, and they're appreciative because you sowed into their life. You may not know the reaping, but you will someday. Because at the Bema Seat of Christ, everything that you've done for God will be rewarded. So, let us reap spiritually, not physically. Let us sow abundantly and not stingily. Let us not lose heart. Let us not grow weary. And let us understand that just as the farmer who plants the seeds and does all the work that he can do. It's God who gives the increase. And in your life, when you sow to the Spirit, it may not be microwavable, but it'll be eternal. And it'll be far beyond and exceedingly and abundantly even what we can imagine or compare. That's how God blesses. Therefore, 
Let us heed the warning to make sure that our lives are investing in eternal spiritual matters. And again, let us make sure we do so abundantly and to everyone, but especially the household of faith and all God's people said, 